The views and opinions expressed by the individuals in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of its producers, Metaphor Creative Media, its management, or affiliates. Police officers were witness to some of the most amazing things in life. Some comical, some horrendous, and some just plain miraculous. When asked why you went into law enforcement, most officers will tell you because it's like having a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. Today, we saved you a front row seat. This is Observations. From Broadcast Beat Studios in Oakland Park, Florida, Metaphor Creative Media presents a show that gives you a personal glimpse of what law enforcement officers see and do in their typical and not-so-typical day of work. From walking the beat to detective, Rob has 35 years of law enforcement experience. Although the staff are all active or former law enforcement, any views, opinions, and all other show content are in no way official views, statements, or policies of any law enforcement agency. To talk to our host, call the podcast studio toll-free at 888-511-COPS. That's 888-511-2677. Hello again, and welcome to Observations, your front-row seat to the greatest show on earth. I'm your host, Rob Lerner, along with my co-host, Gary Dickinson. We've been away for a couple of weeks, but now we're back. Gary, welcome back to Observations. Good hey. to see you. Yeah, you too, buddy. I want to remind everybody, we broadcast live every Thursday night at 7 p.m. from the Broadcast Speed Studios, located in Oakland Park, Florida. Here on Observations, we attempt to give you a personal glimpse of what law enforcement officers go through on a daily basis. We also talk about recent events, happenings, and the latest hot topics pertaining to law enforcement that not only affect officers, but you, the general public, as well. If you have a question, comment, or a story you'd like to share, you can join the conversation by giving the podcast studio a call toll-free at 888-511-COPS. That's 888-511-2677. You can also instant message your questions or comments live on our Facebook page. On past episodes, some of the topics we discussed were attacks on police officers, police suicide, 9-11, car stops, and vehicle pursuits. Tonight, I want to change it up a bit and talk about our four-legged partners, the unsung heroes who play a vital role in law enforcement. Tonight's episode will be the first of a two-part special where we'll discuss the use of canines and how vital they are to law enforcement. On next week's show, part two of this special episode, our guest will be an officer with many years of canine experience under his belt and is the current commanding officer of the canine unit for the sheriff's office. So tonight, we're inviting all canine handlers out there to give us a call at 888-511-COPS. That's 888 888- 511-2677. And I promise we don't bite. So give us a call. We'd like to hear from you guys. Hey, Gary, um, I know speaking with you in the past, you have a nephew that was in law enforcement back in New York. Yes. And uh, you wanted to pay tribute to one of his partners. Yeah. Um, he was the, uh, Greg worked at NYPD <clears throat> at, at the actual 9-11 site. And he uh, ended up getting leukemia. But before that, he went out to Nassau County, got a job. Him and this kid, Arthur Lopez, 
ended up being partners and they were really close uh, and then uh, they separated because one transferred you know how it goes but uh, police officer Arthur Lopez Nassau County Police Department New York uh, was killed in line of duty his end of watch was October 23 2012 seven years ago um, uh, police officer Lopez was shot and killed while attempting to arrest a hit-and-run driver at the intersection of 241st Street and Jamaica Avenue. Officer Lopez and his partner observed a vehicle they believed they had involved in a hit-and-run accident near the border of Nassau County and New York City. The officers followed the vehicle into Queens where they conducted a vehicle stop. The subject opened fire on the officers as they approached and exchanged words. Officer Lopez was struck in the chest the subject then fled in his vehicle. He's abandoned his vehicle and he carjacked a citizen, fatally shooting the driver for no reason, by the way. <clears throat> Officer Lopez was transported to the North Shore Island Jewish Hospital where he succumbed to his injuries. The subject was arrested and several hours later was suffering two inflicted, self-inflicted gunshot wounds. He was identified as a former convict who had served four years for attempted murder he was subsequently arrested, charged, and convicted for two counts of first-degree murder and murdering Officer Lopez and the civilian. He was subsequently sentenced to life without parole. Second subject was arrested and charged in connection with the providing the subject with a firearm used to commit the murders. Officer Lopez had served the Nassau County Police Department for eight years and was signed to the Emergency Services Unit. He was 29 years old. He was a baby. He was a baby. He didn't even get a chance to uh, really live. It's a shame. You, know, you mentioned uh, your nephew was at September 11th, and one of the past episodes I had mentioned somebody that had worked with, Dennis Murphy. Dennis Murphy was also at September 11th, and he was a very big advocate for increasing the funding for the survivors and, and those that would be, be coming in the future. I just learned recently that he was just uh, put into hospice, and Dennis was a fighter, and it's nearing the end and I, I just ask everybody out there if you could just pray for Dennis Murphy uh, we, we pray for a miracle we, we hope for the best we're prepared for the worst but we hope for the best and uh, God bless you Dennis God that's all we can do at this stage but that's uh, that's my tribute to uh, Arthur Lopez it's a shame okay. before we get into tonight's topic like always I'd like to discuss some recent events in the news pertaining to law enforcement and one of them in particular, which is appropriate for the topic tonight, there was an uh, Ohio canine that found a missing three-year-old in 10 minutes. The Shelby County Sheriff's Office received a report about the missing child, and Deputy Frank Bly and Canine Bandit set out to search for the missing boy. Bandit, a German Shepherd, picked up the boy sent within 10 minutes. The boy was found a quarter mile away from his home. Um, Deputy Bly and Bandit started the search at the front of the house. Like I said, within 10 minutes, the dog was located. You know, Gary, when we think about searching, a lot of times the fir first thing people think of is the bloodhounds. Right. But, the, you know, it's amazing the, the talents that all these dogs have, the, the olfactory senses that they have in, in the German Shepherds. Um, well, there are, you know, they all have that, that sense of smell and a fantastic sense of smell, 225 million times better than a human. But the bloodhound, obviously, that's their specialty. That's what they do the most. And uh, they're, uh, they're incredible. Um, they, they can find people. There was, a, there was a story where a bloodhound 
tracked a, a victim through the woods and got to a street and they think the bad guy put the victim in the car drove the car off and the dog stayed on the track even though the bloodhound stayed and followed the, until he got it because he went for a few miles and stopped and was going to kill her and throw her out but the bloodhound stayed on the track and they caught up to him and saved her it's, it's, it's amazing what these dogs are capable of and they're so versatile also in the news again is the uh, continued attacks on NYPD officers NYPD officers were attacked while trying to arrest a man for drinking in public. Two police officers were attacked when they approached a man drinking on a Brooklyn sidewalk sparking a wild street brawl. The cops were touring the neighborhood when they spotted Brian Williams drinking near his home on Vernon Avenue near Lewis Avenue in Bedford-Stuyvesant at about 5.30 p.m. last Tuesday. As the cops approached Williams, he took a wild swing at one of the police officers and that uh, a wild brawl ensued because of that when the police tried to grab him. The cops were trying to handcuff Williams when Donnell Brown, another gentleman wearing a blue hat and blue coat, jumped in the melee from behind and punched both officers. Brown, 37, seemed to connect at least twice before running away. During the struggle, the two men swiped an NYPD-issued cell phone from one of the police, police officers. The police charged Williams with robbery, assaulting a police officer and resisting arrest and was giving a violation for drinking in public. A judge ordered him released without bail at his arraignment in Brooklyn Criminal Court on Wednesday. Brown was also charged with robbery and assault on a police officer and obstructing governmental administration. You know, this all started months ago with the attacks on the police officers with, with dumping water and it's just, it keeps escalating. You know, we have the the fighting, they just feel that they can freely attack police officers. It's, it's insane. I was just talking today to one of my family members about this, and <clears throat> I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not, but, you know, years ago when I started in police work, if you attacked a police officer, you just got your ass beat. And that's all there was to it. And the second time around, that guy didn't try that again. So we had a lot more respect in those days. Now these cops can't do anything. They're uh, I mean, they're being scrupulized so much that anything they do is almost out of bounds. Everything is too rough on them. Everything's too tough. But have you ever tried to handcuff somebody that doesn't want to get handcuffed? Even a female without punching around or something? If you don't want to go to the extreme, it's tough. It is. And it, you know, it's funny that you mentioned how difficult it is to handcuff somebody that doesn't want to be. I saw a video uh, this morning, and it was also... A, video that took place in Brooklyn. It was the 71st Precinct. And I think there was, in regard to public drinking again, and the suspect was about six foot three and he didn't want to be handcuffed. And there were about six police officers attempting to handcuff this guy. And he was resisting. He wasn't fighting them, but he wasn't complying. He was uh, not allowing them to do what they had to do. And people in the background, everybody's videotaping and they're all yelling and shouting out the cops and uh, almost obstructing justice in their own and it was I watched this video it probably took about 10 to 15 minutes before they were finally able to subdue him handcuff him and get him into a police car and get out of there and it's just uh, it goes back to compliance you know that's that's how civilians get hurt that's how police officers get hurt when people refuse to comply you don't have to like the situation but comply all you have to do is do what you're told that's just it. that simple you know put your hands behind your back if, if you don't feel it was a just arrest. There are avenues that you can take. 
you, you can make a complaint to the uh, Civilian Complaint Review Board, Internal Affairs, make, make a complaint, but once you start fighting and resisting, it escalates. You know, and once you're told you're under arrest, we're, we're not backing off. We're not saying, okay, well, not today. No. Well, they think that you're just going to say, oh, oh, I'm sorry. But go, you go ahead then. It's okay. Finish drinking that beer and go on your way. And in that, in that story, in that video, there was a follow-up story where they said that there was a police sergeant that was on the scene in, in a police vehicle who allegedly told them not to make the arrest, which I kind of find hard to believe after you see everything that took place when you watch the video. It was... Uh, yeah, but in today's police world, you never who know. knows? He probably didn't want the scrutiny either. He just uh, wanted to do his eight and skate. Well, uh, you know, and he, he was in the car, but he never got out of the vehicle. I mean, you know, people, some people were calling him a coward, and then there was more to the story as well. They said, well, he was in the police vehicle with another subject that was handcuffed in the back of the car. So he stayed with that I'm prisoner. sure he wasn't a coward. <laughs> they never are. <laughs> another story, there's a uh, New York congressional candidate is arguing that taking guns away from law enforcement will make communities safer. Jamal Bowman, a New York City congressional candidate endorsed by Justice Democrats, has proposed taking guns away from police officers in American cities. It's in the best interest of both law enforcement and communities to implement major policy changes so that the racist institutional biases that led to the use of force against Atiana Jefferson and Tamir Rice and so many others will never happen again. We need a country with fewer guns and more justice and safety. It's time to disarm the police, Jamal Bowman wrote on Twitter before re retweeting one user's response that police in the United Kingdom carry no guns and thus have killed no citizens. Despite the media attention they receive, police homicides are rare. Recent research found that 99.22% of arrests did not involve the use of any force. Among cases where force was used, 98% resulted in no or mild injury. According to the Washington Post database of police use of fatal force, there have been 32 police shootings in New York City and the five boroughs since 2015. Just one of the individuals killed at that time was unarmed. Another was carrying a fake pistol, which he had just used to rob a bodega and pointed at the officers who shot him. Both of these cases were part of the 14 deaths in New York in 2019, figures to date. Gary, how would you like to be a police officer in a big city where crime was pretty, pretty rampant and not allowed to carry a firearm? Uh, that wouldn't happen. I wouldn't. Could, could you imagine? I, I wouldn't be there. But, you know, I just read about what happened to Arthur Lopez. And let's let this Jamal, whatever his name is, from Jamal Bowman from New York City, explain this case, why this kid shouldn't have a gun when he got shot twice in the chest trying to apprehend this guy. <clears throat> and as far as the, pol the police in Britain goes, years ago they did away with guns in Britain, handguns. So they were, the cops co didn't carry uh, guns because it wasn't so necessary. But they would beat the hell out of you in a heartbeat. <laughs> but the point is, though, that nowadays more and more British police are carrying guns. And not all of them, but they're specifying certain officers and certain supervisors. And in a group of officers, one at least would be armed with a gun, but they keep it in their jacket where it can't be seen. Because they have these Jamaican drug gangs over there, as you and I both know, are extremely violent. So that's not really true that they're not 
carrying guns, but it's a different situation in this country because we have the Second Amendment. All the guns are out there. But we also know that good guys don't have to get guns, but the bad guys are going to get and keep guns that they steal. Bad guys don't go into Kmart and fill out a form and say, I want to buy this AR-15. I want to buy this 45 automatic. They just steal the guns. So, you know, it's funny. I took my family not long ago to, uh, uh, I don't want to give them a free plug. Oh, give these, a, go ahead, give yeah, a free plug. Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> and we walked up, and, of course, I have my firearm on me because I always carry. <clears throat> and I, they had a sign on the door that you couldn't, no firearms allowed. And I thought, well, that's real smart because you have a whole place full of kids, and they don't want me in there with my gun where I could protect them. But do you think a bad guy that intends to kill a load of kids is going to walk up to that door and go, oh, man, I can't carry my gun in here. Let me go find someplace else. Yeah, come on. If they're going to kill a load of kids, they don't give a damn about your sign. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. You, you imagined years ago, <clears throat> I guess back in the 1800s also, a lot of police officers, too, didn't give the appearance of carrying weapons. They also carried them inside their jackets. And it wasn't until later on where they started wearing them on the, as a sidearm. Yeah. But can you, would you want to live in the city where the police weren't allowed to be armed? Absolutely not. Because, you know, when your wife's home alone and she calls a cop, she wants an armed cop to come. Absolutely. I mean, she doesn't want some little skinny wimp with no gun. No, <coughs> you have to be able to protect yourself and to be able to protect the public. And if you don't have a firearm, it's not going to happen. You know happen. what? Let Jamal Bowman... Go down that dark alley after that bad guy you just chased in there with no gun. Well, Let him try and handcuff some of these people that don't want to get cuffed. Well, what a lot of people are saying is it's part of that rhetoric, you know, anti-police rhetoric where people are trying to garner votes, people that are anti-police. So that's another thing. Hey, this guy wants to disarm the police. You know, let, let's vote for him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I also don't understand. Maybe it's just me. I don't think so. But... I don't care if you're black or white or what. If you break the law, you go to jail. There's no institutional racism. There's no Gary Dickinson racism. I'm just, if you're black or you're white or you're Chinese and you break the law, I'm not going to look the other way because you happen to be black. I'm sorry. I just don't do that. And I'm not going to look away if it's another race or another color. If you break the law, you go to jail. That's the oath I took. And that's what's going to happen. I, I second that. And I'm talking too much. Well, you, you usually do, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it fills the air. There's no blank spaces. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, unfortunately, uh, in the news again, in the past we talked about police suicides, and recently a uh, New York City police sergeant died by suicide in Queens. Off-duty sergeant shot himself to death last Tuesday department said he's the 10th active duty police police officer to die suicide this year sergeant's name age and department assignment were not immediately released <coughs> he took his life at his home near st john's university in the borough's fresh <coughs> meadows neighborhood sergeant mary o'donnell's police spokesman reported an emergency call came in at about 9:30 p.m and he was pronounced dead about a half hour later Tuesday night suicide is the 10th in NYPD officer in 2019. Four NYPD officers took their lives in all of last year. After four department officers killed themselves in June, this year alone, the NYPD declared a mental health crisis among the ranks and urged cops to seek help for themselves or others in distress. 
Seeking help is never a sign of weakness. In fact, it's a sign of great strength, Police Commissioner James O'Neill tweeted at the time. You know, he's the 10th this year, but there were two off-duty police officers. It's actually the 12th police suicide this year for the New York City Police Department. It's, you know, I, I, I don't know why. Well, I don't know why it took them 12 cops to declare a mental health crisis. This obviously... I mean, we've always had police officers committing suicide, but not at this rate, I don't think. I don't even think NYPD, as big as they are, lose officers. I, they seriously need to do a serious study on this and find out why and what's going on. But the, but the problem, too, with these officers, they get bad, but then they feel like if they call for help, they're going to be put on the rubber gun squad, thrown in a rubber room, and they're not going to let them work as a cop again. Well, if you got a family to feed, you don't want that to happen. It's just, there's a stigma associated with it. Um, you know, there's an organization we've talked about in the past, PAPA, and they can be reached uh, at 888-267-7267. It's 24 hours, seven, you know, 24 hours, seven days a week. It's manned by uh, police officers as well, people that can help. It's a group of the police officers, peers. Yeah. And there's also the suicide prevention hotline at 800-273-8255. I remember when I started in the police academy, uh, one of the instructors was giving us statistics, statistics, and at that time he said police officers have the highest rate of alcoholism, divorce, and suicide, mm -hmm. you know, based upon the stresses of the job. And right now the suicide rate is off the chain it's absolutely uh well you know if you if you're a cop out there and you happen to be listening and you call one of these papa numbers or the 800 suicide prevention line you don't even have to give them your name you can just call and talk to somebody and tell them what your problems are it's like it's like us going to a domestic we just handle the call we don't judge them we don't go home and go boy you're not going to believe what mary said to her husband it's just it's like a doctor, you know what I mean? And the same thing, if you could talk it out and talk to somebody and hang up and feel better, maybe you'll get past that point of wanting to shoot yourself. No, absolutely. You know, I, I belong to so many different groups, uh, law enforcement groups, where the suicide comes up. Every time there's a suicide, everybody posts, hey, call me, call me. I mean, there's so many people out there that are willing to listen. Even if you're a stranger, we're not strangers. We might not know each other, but we're all brothers and sisters in law enforcement. We all have a common goal in the there's a camaraderie there. Well, you and I are pretty close. Yeah, we're about four feet away right we, now. <laughs> we worked a lot together. We spent a lot of time together with our families and yep. everything. You know, if there was something wrong with you, I would notice. If we were together all the time and I saw something wrong with you or vice versa, don't you think we would notice? Absolutely. And somebody should say, hey, Bill, what's the problem? You feeling good today? Hmm? Let's go out and talk in the parking lot. Yeah, I, I was just talking to uh, one, of, one of the guys I work with, and I saw something Something wasn't 100% right with him. Um, thank God it wasn't. It was something else. It was health issues concerning another family member. But, but you could see that something was bothering me. I, I, I went to speak to him to say, hey, what's going on? Is everything all right? And we spoke for a while, and, and he thanked me. You know, it was just, it was something he was able to get off his chest to vent and, and maybe unburden himself just, just a little That's bit. That's all it takes. And, you know, when your partner's with somebody... Or you spend a lot of time working together like you and I. Um, who better? You tell everybody, every, you tell each other everything. So what's, what's to hide? Why not say something? Why not talk to them? 
Yep, yep. And uh, another story in the news, the uh, Fort Worth, Texas police chief reiterated the fact that uh, this was the shooting in Texas of the woman's house. The police thought they were going on a welfare check. And, uh, oh, yeah. You know, but what he said, uh, he reiterated that Tuesday that a white officer's fatal shooting of a black woman in her home was inexcusable. As an arrest warrant was released, quoting the victim's eight-year-old nephew saying, she pointed a gun at the window when they heard suspicious noises. Um, I guess they were in the video. She heard noise in the, in the backyard. She did. Um, as a homeowner, and in Texas, you know, she's got the absolute right to possess a firearm, and she heard noises and, uh, you know, according to news accounts, point, pointed the gun out the window. The police officer saw it and shot through the window, and a tragic, absolutely tragic incident, you know, with a 8-year-old there and a woman in her own home, you know, trying to protect herself. Well, I'm, I generally don't like to uh, comment on this kind of stuff unless, uh, you know, I, well, not comment, but to judge, because if I can't see all the evidence and know what really happened, all we know is the police reports. But this one's been out there for a while. <clears throat> and uh, I also read today that um, um, that call was not just a neighbor's door open. It had been increased somewhat. However... I think this cop's in trouble because had that been you and I going on that call, I don't think this would have happened. I think we would have checked the outside real quick for um, an obvious break-in. The front door was open. Well, the, as a cop, you have to think, what if it's a home invasion and they're still in there? But sooner or later, somebody's got to go to the door and yell, police department. Are you home? Anybody home? Anybody in the house? We're coming in. And to keep yelling that. But uh, you're right about her having that right and everything. And talking to one of my family members about this, they said, well, she, she did have a gun. I mean, but, and what was she doing pointing it out the window? Probably she couldn't see because he had the flashlight in her face. And then he saw the gun and he yelled out, show me your hands, bam. He didn't wait. He could have backed off to the side, called for backup. But in this case, it was a tragic thing, and he ended up shooting the poor homeowner in front of her nephew. I don't like to uh, Monday morning quarterback anybody or any, any situation. But there are conflicting reports on, first, where they told it was a welfare check. I, I mean, I think it rose to the level where they thought it may have been a burglary. Yeah. So you respond to different calls and react a certain way on a welfare check, usually you walk up to the door, you knock on the door and make sure everybody's okay. If it's a, a burglary or a possibly a burglary, now you see the open door, um, yeah, you do want to check around the perimeter of the house. You don't want to just rush into a house. You, you don't know what you're going into. I had uh, friends in New York City that responded to an incident and he, he was shot. You know, as the perpetrator was coming out the door, he wanted to thank God he, he survived. Um, so there's a little discrepancy on what he was responding to. You know, he was uh, arrested on, on a murder charge. So and he had already resigned. Yeah. It, it's it's going to be very interesting to see, see what happens. Um, you know, but they're looking to see exactly what the officers were told prior to responding. You know, it's... Uh, Open, was it an open structure call, which would indicate that it was possibly a, a crime, an active crime going on, or, or was it a welfare check? And, and that's 
what the problem is. You know, it's uh. Well, I forgot what I was gonna say now. That's what happens when you get old. Yeah, it does. It happens to me all the time. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, Gary, the first recorded use of dogs during police work was in St. Malo, France in the early 14th century when they were used to protect the docks. Uh, it wasn't until 1988 that the modern police dog first came into being. The dogs had been used uh, for 100 years. The English used bloodhounds while searching for Jack the Ripper yep. in, in 1988. And uh, during that time, they were allowed to... Uh, they allowed canines to accompany the, the bobbies on, on patrol. In 1899, this was just giving you a little brief history of the canines, how they came into being in existence. Oh, I know. Because I know everybody out there is just wondering how this happened. And uh, in 1899, again, Belgium, police started formally training dogs for police work. And in 1910, Germany regu regularly used canines in more than 600 of their largest cities. Here you go, Gary, here's a question for you. Do you know why they're called canines? Short for canine? Haha. Okay, here you go. Because it sounds like canine, which is the Latin name for the dog family. Right. And uh, canine security dogs usually refers to police dogs. You know, they have so many uh, duties that they, that they handle the dogs, you know. They search for drugs, explosives, uh, locating missing people finding crime scene evidence. They were currency dogs. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing, the currency dogs. I, I saw that at the airport one time. I was working with the, these intervention guys, and they were doing the overseas flights. And they would have the dogs, and they would walk the dogs down the jetway to smell currency that people weren't claiming in the bags. It's just amazing how sensitive that their, uh, their noses are. Well, it's, what's amazing, too, is that they're used for so much stuff. Um, you know, they have uh, dogs for the agricultural inspectors at customs points. Yes, they I They smell for the bad fruit and yes. contraband. They use dogs for other things. It's not con Drugs is not the only contraband there is. No. So some of it's big stuff. But this is the new one. That's, they're catching up to the new times. The newest tech is the training the sniffer dogs for electronics, thumb drives, and computer equipment. One dog was able to locate a thumb drive hidden four layers deep in a tin box in a cabinet. Oh, it's, it's amazing what they're capable of doing. You know, I remember one time I was working uh, at the port, and the ship was debarking, people going through the line waiting to go through customs. And one of the customs guys was there with the drug dog. It was a German shepherd. It was a family, and the 16-year-old son is there, and he's got a computer bag. And all of a sudden, the dog walks past, and boom. Hit that bag. Hit, hit that bag. <laughs> and you could see the look on, on the kid's face. And th that's how the parents found out, if, if they didn't already know, that he was smoking pot. <laughs> you know, when, when they searched the bag, it, there was nothing in there at the time, but at one point it was there. So, you know, that's how strong the... I know. The, uh, well, you know, I did that too with the canines at the airport with the drug dogs. And they had wrapped, uh, they were smuggling in marijuana in boxes. And they had wrapped them over and over and over in the saran wrap and then every so often they would put um what are the fluffy things you put in the dryer you know i forget what they're called the fabric softener sheets yeah yeah they? and they would wrap it wrap put another flag or soft and they'd wrap it all kind of ways and it would be as this great this much dope and this much of wrapping all right and all this and the dogs hit on it just <clears> like that 
it doesn't matter what you put in there, he's going to hit on that drug. You know, it's, it's amazing. These dogs really are. And they, they have to remember so many different commands and, and just hand gestures alone, the, the way they train them. Oh, yeah, I know. I trained dogs like that. I had them. You know, <clears throat> the, the most commonly used dogs are the, uh, the German Shepherd, the Belgian Malinois, and the Bloodhounds. Dutch Shepherds and Retriever breeds are also used. You know, recently the Belgian Malinois has become the dog of choice for police and military. Oh, you got you got a picture of your Doberman. Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, you know the the Malinois. They, they like them because they're they're intensive drive and focus. They're all, you know they're almost like uh, they're on steroids. These do- you know these dogs are just like so eager to work. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the Malinois. Small, and they love it, and they work for something small. Yeah, a baseball. You a just con. Throw them a ball. That's, they don't care. It's amazing. I, I can't get my dog to sit if if I don't have a treat in my hand. And these dogs, all they want is that a toy. I can't get my granddaughter to clean a room with a hundred bucks. Let alone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll clean my room for a hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, you know, the reason why they like the Malinois also it's smaller, more agile, and uh, generally have less uh, health issues than the German Shepherds. But they say a well bred working line German Shepherd is just as successful and ro- robust as the Malin was. You know, I'll tell you a quick story about Yeah. Is that yours? Yeah. That's uh wait wait till they get on me they can zoom they, they Can you zoom in on this uh phone here? There we go. It's got uh, very white teeth. It looks like an alligator. <laughs> look, look at those teeth. And I know. You don't want to be on the wrong end of this dog. No, I was working at the airport one time, and uh, one of the handlers, one of the TSA dog handlers. I forgot I had that picture. Mike Ivey had a dog, Dino. Dino was a, uh, I forget what, he was a shepherd from Holland. The dog was absolutely beautiful, long black hair, blue eyes, and I used to play with him all the time. You know, every time I'd see him, I'd pet him, and I would play with him, and I knew the dog really well. (laughs) One night, I was talking to Mike, and I was playing with the dog. And he puts him back into the vehicle, and we're outside the car, and we're talking. Mike says to me, hey, uh, you should see the new carbon monoxide detector they put in the car, I guess, for the dog's protection. Yeah. So I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, it's, it's right up there. And I stick my head in, and I look up, and as I'm looking, I hear him say, be careful. And all of a sudden, Dino, who I was just playing with a minute ago, and just, miss, just missed my face. I, I mean, if I didn't get out of there in time, he would have ripped me to pieces. And the first thing I said to Mike, well, Mike said to me, oh, dude, you're lucky. And I said, no, dude, you're lucky. <laughs> and the next thing was, boy, your dog has white teeth. Yeah, yeah. You know. They get real territorial when they're in their car. Yeah. and I, Even I, if they're not a trained bite dog. No, it was just I was invading his space, and it was, uh, yeah, crazy. It was crazy. Well, uh, that dog with white teeth, my dog, she bit a couple people, so they want me to. <laughs> you can't? Listen, uh. I got a couple of stories about Scarlett. Her name was Scarlett. I was uh, I was on the motorcycle unit, and I was supposed to go into the canine unit. And uh, <clears throat> I talked to the sheriff about it himself, and he said, sure, no problem. Take that Doberman. Here's your canine car. So I had the car parked in front of my house, but I was still on the motorcycle squad. I never went to the dog squad because my Charlene came in after that a couple of weeks later, said, listen, I'm pregnant, and I don't want you to work midnights. And, <laughs> That took care of that. But the point is, <clears throat> I was getting ready. I had my uniform on. I was ready to go. Had the motorcycle parked in the garage. I had a canine car parked in front of my house that didn't have any lights on top, which we call a slick top in police work. So <clears throat> she, she comes into me. She says, hey, uh, I think this guy's out here is going to break in Bill's house. 
I said, come on, get out of here, Charlene. You know, I'm busy. I got to get. She said, no, no, I'm serious. I said, it's probably just some guy. He's a contractor. He's coming by to get his check or something. She goes, well, maybe, but he's going to break in. So I said, okay. So I walk back and I look. And sure as sick, the guy's there. He rings the doorbell. He's looking around the neighborhood real suspicious. Goes up and he checks the windows and he checks the edge of the doors. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, this guy is really, he's going to really break in. So I'm thinking to myself, I call on the radio and I tell the BSO dispatcher to send the police to my home. Well, they... Instead of going to Southwest, they went to the wrong address. So they're on the wrong side of town. Fortunately, once they got over there, one of the cops said, Hey, I know Gary Dickens. He doesn't live over here. And they started coming towards me. But I'm waiting and I'm waiting and they ain't showing up. And I'm thinking, This is not like Margate. Let me go. Uh, I'm going to get this guy by myself. And I'm, I ain't going alone. So I took my dog with me. So <clears throat> out the door we go. I meet the guy. Had went next door. He coming out of my neighbor's, the other neighbor's backyard, walking towards me. I tell him, Get on the ground, please. Saw I'm in uniform. Get on the ground. Don't move. Lay down. Oh no, I'm just I'm just a painter. I'm looking for work, and I'm just looking. I said, dude, get on the ground right now, or you're gonna get bit. <laughs> so, I had the dog in my left hand, so my gun hand would be free, and I reached out to grab the guy because he wasn't laying down, and I pulled him down, <clears throat> and she lunged forward, and they got too close, and she latched onto his head, and flipped him like a pancake on the ground. <laughs> So she cut his scalp all up and everything, and her teeth slid off the, off of his head, and I pulled her back. So I thought to myself, well, this is a perfect training thing. So I told him, lay down on the ground, don't move, spread your arms and legs. I laid the dog down in front of her, and I said to him, don't move, or the dog's going to bite you. You understand, she wants to bite you. If you move, she's going to bite you. Got it? Yes. I said, okay, and I walked around behind him. I told him I was going to check the house, but I walked around behind him and I stood there and I watched her. So uh, I sh- can show you, but they can't see on the radio, but she's glaring at him. She's only about three feet away from him. What well, I can see you on Facebook. Yeah. And she's, uh, yeah, that's true. She's, she's staring at him and he's staring at her and she looked away like this and went <laughs> back real fast. Tried to get him to run for it, you know? And I was like, Oh my God, these dogs are really smart. And then she looked away the other direction and she turned her eyes to the corner to see if he was going for it. <laughs> she was hoping. Yeah. But you know, that was in the old days and I wasn't even in the canine unit. And I'm thinking to myself, oh shit, you know, my dog done bit this guy. So what am I going to do? Margate said, ah, don't worry about it. We'll write it up and turn it in. And, and, and that was the too, end of that. What people don't know is that you have experience training Dobermans. Yes. So. I'm sure the dog Well, I had been training, uh, had been training dogs for a, a private competition called Schutzen, which is basically a police dog, German style police dog training. But it's uh, it's for civilians. And then there was another time with Scarlett when I would, took her out on a tracking uh, mission in the field on Sunday mornings. I would take her out in, in the fresh plowed ground so I could lay the track and I could see where it was to make sure that she was on so I could see by footsteps. And then at the end of the track, I would put some liver because I didn't have anybody with me as a trainer to, you know. So, <clears throat> and I had it. My, it just so happened, my foster brother was a Border Patrol agent, so he had given me a T-shirt that said U.S. Border Patrol, mean green, right in front. And I wore had that shirt on that day. So I'm, I'm taking her on the track about a mile to these, uh, the farm fields, you know. And there was a bunch of Mexicans and Spanish workers under the trees sitting over there, and so we're going along, and she gets to the end of the track, 
And I know she smells the liver, so I'm thinking to myself, so I always just let go of the leash and just let her run because I was on about a 30-foot leash. And she went to the, she goes to the liver and looked up and went right past the liver into the bushes. Next thing you know, I hear this guy yelling in Spanish. I don't know what he's saying, but it was bloody murder. <laughs> I run over there, and she comes dragging him out of the bushes <laughs> by the leg. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? You know, so I, I got this guy up, and I got my first aid kit out, and I bandaged up his leg and put him in the back seat. I put the dog in the front seat with me so she couldn't bite him anymore. So I drove up to the to the supervisor's trailer, and I knocked on the door, and he came out, and I said, uh, I said, uh, do you know this Mexican? You know this guy in the back? I don't know if he was Mexican or Guatemalan or whatever, but I said, do you know this guy? I said, he's trespassing on your property. You don't know him, do you? He looks at him, and he looks at all the other guys, and he goes, no, I don't know him. I said, well, I'm going to arrest him for trespass. He said, okay, by me. <laughs> and I got away with it again. <laughs> and that was it. You, know, you, talk, you talk about uh, tracking. In September, it was reported that a Florida canine unit found a missing autistic boy. The uh, Santa Rosa County deputies, Robert Lenzo and Josh Chandler, along with a pair of their canines, bloodhounds, copper and zinc, were able to track a three-year-old boy who went missing and may have gone into to the woods through swampy terrain and, and, and delivered him back safe, safely to his family. He was returned about two and a half hours later. The bloodhounds, who had been training with Lenzo and Chandler for the last year, quickly tracked the boy to an area in the woods approximately 200 yards back from the tree line. While the bloodhounds were able to get to the boy right away, Sheriff's officers had to use a machete to access the area, which was thick and overgrown briar patch. You know, the uh, bloodhounds, they often call it a nose with a, a dog attached. It's uh, so adept at scent tracking, its tra tra trailing results are admissible as evidence. True. You know, they're just unbelievable. They have uh, such a large uh, olfactory glands in the nose with a what they can smell. They say that a, a human's olfactory sense is about the size of a stamp, where the bloodhounds is the size of a uh, handkerchief. True. Well, our, our scent factors are around 5 million uh, for human beings, and I understand for a dog it's about 225 million. Yeah, they, well, they say with the uh, bloodhound it's approximately uh, 230 million uh, and 40 times the number than in human, you know, in humans, it's just... And, it, and you know, the ears on a bloodhound also helps him track. To, it keeps the smell that they're tracking in where the nose is, seriously. No, absolutely. And the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office has a, a bloodhound unit. And they have two or three bloodhounds, I know, that they just keep for... So, I mean, obviously, they must be working or they wouldn't be spending the money for them. No, absolutely. We have a few with our agents, too. I mean, every agency has them. You know, this, the dogs are so uh, keen on cement that they've been known to track for, for 130 miles. They've gone that far tracking. It's just uh, amazing how once they pick up on the scent, they don't let go. And there's so many other scents that can get involved, but it doesn't throw them off. Well, you know, there's so many advantages for a, a police dog versus a, a human cop. I mean, they can run faster. They can jump through windows. They can go over fences, over walls. They can go over eight-foot walls and 
they're just tremendous. They work twice as fast. They're fearful. They're not afraid of anything. Like fearless. Period. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Fearless dogs. Um, that's what I meant. Fearless. And I mean, they'll if, if somebody's shooting at them, they'll keep charging him. Let me let me, uh, let, me and, let me stop yeah, you for a second yeah. because I, I just corrected you. I have to correct myself when I was talking about the tracking of Jack the Ripper. It was pointed out to me that I mentioned 1988. Well, it was 1888. Really? Yes. Oh, well, it was 1888. <laughs> it was 18, I, didn't even, I said 1988. I didn't catch it. Well, yes, um, somebody hey, caught it. Maybe he was back. You know, <laughs> brought it to my attention. But the point is, you know, they can also hire uh, hire and train. Well, not hire. You don't hire a dog, but they can buy and train a dog and the handler, and set him up with food, the vet, everything he needs for home, for much less than hiring a recruit. To hire a recruit costs the salary plus all his benefits and everything. They say that I heard back that it was about hundred thousand dollars for uh, to hire a deputy sheriff in all total costs. But a dog can do it all a lot cheaper, and then they get two for one that way. Oh, what was that? What does it make? <laughs> yeah. Does that mean I'm on too long? I, I don't know. It could be it's like a Mr. Peterson line. I, hey, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, you know, dogs, you, you talk about the dogs. They, they come from the wolves. And, uh, you know, I did a little research into this topic, so I, I wanted to know a little bit of what I was talking about. And I wish one of you canine guys out there would give us a call. Um yeah, I hope but, somebody would so they could point out our inept species. Yeah, but a, a wolf, you know, they come from the wolf. A wolf standard bite is measured at about 400 pounds uh, per square inch. They say a wolf, when it's protecting itself or it's in an, an attack mode, it can uh, exert up to 1,200 pounds of uh, pressure. Now, when you get to the domestic breeds, you know, the German Shepherd, uh, Malinois, the Rottweilers and all that, German Shepherd bites at about 238 pounds per s square inch. The Malinois about 195, and the Rottweiler comes in at about 328. Now, that's for a domestic dog, a dog that, that's not trained, okay? When it, there's another breed out there. It's called the Turkish Kangal, which is a herding dog, and it's there to protect the, the sheep and all that stuff. That dog has a per-square-inch bite of about 743 pounds. Okay. And they're huge dogs. Yes, they're monstrous. And they can take on a wolf. By themselves with no problem. Uh, my my niece has a uh, an ovcharka, which is along the same lines. Okay, it does protection in the Caucasus mountain regions. It protects the herds and stuff. So all they have to do is train that dog that don't attack the herd. These are your 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 charges. Your flock, it's your and flock. And they take care of them. And these dogs are big and bad. She's got a big black one. It's a female, and it ain't that big, but it's it's a good 150 pounds. And uh, I'm, I told her, I ain't, I'm not coming up there. I can't. He's not real friendly. I tell you, one of the biggest dogs. But I've he's friendly seen. with the dog. Yeah. I mean, the family, I mean. Uh, oh, yeah, and God forbid somebody oh, tries man. to get in. One of the biggest breeds I've ever seen in person was the Russian Caucasian. And, uh, you know, when I worked in New York at Brighton Beach, which was a predominantly Russian area, I remember yeah, there was yeah. a guy who had a puppy. I think the puppy was about 10 months old. It was 140 pounds. They get to about 200 pounds, and they are huge, and they use them in the Russian military, and I saw a video, and they're ferocious. I mean, they are, they are absolutely ferocious. In uh, the United States, we have approximately 2,000 uh, law enforcement agencies that have canine dogs. 
Most law enforcement agencies prefer the German Shepherd and Belgian Malinois, although Dutch Shepherds, Rottweilers, and Doberman Pinchers are also used. Yeah. Um, and when you compare the civilian dogs to the police-related dogs, the dogs that are trained, a large difference is that the police dogs bite that much harder. They say uh, German Shepherd can exert up to 1,500 pounds per square inch. A dog that's trained, I, I guess they work with these dogs to well, get them to get more aggressive. Into, it's to not bite. just the aggressive, too. It's, it's, you know, the more they bite, they bite the sleeve, and the more they bite, the stronger their jaws become, and they work the muscles in their jaws, and they do get more aggressive, and that training uh, really, really kicks in. But, you know, um, there's a, well, Mr. Doberman is a German guy that way back when trained, uh, bred and trained a dog that they now, the Doberman Pinscher, and he was a tax collector and he took that on his rounds as his dog to protect him. Um, but, but in Germany, the, the police department, in a large city, they'll have a thousand dogs on the police force and they don't, they don't play. I mean, those dogs are the best of the best. Right. And that's where w all of us law enforcement, and this used to get all our dogs from them. Now we get the Belgian Malinois. That seems to have changed and has become the favorite. But um, a lot of um, police officers in the United States don't just make them a family dog. A lot of guys take the dog home. They live with them. They live with their wife and their kids. Some of them make them more of a working dog, and they go home, and they go in a kennel. Right. And that's the, but the Germans have this mindset that that's all they are, and that's the way they take them. And a lot of times, if a bad guy's running away, they have a steel muzzle on the dog, and they'll send the dog after the bad guy with the muzzle on. And he, he hits him in the middle of the back, and then every time he tries to bite him, he's beating him like a boxer. Right. And then at, uh, if they're close up, if they if they take that muzzle off, you're in deep trouble then. You, you know, when you say it's true, because I, I know some canine handlers that treat treat the dogs as pets. They're integrated with the family and the other dogs in the house. And I don't know if they're supposed to be or they're not supposed to be. And you have other handlers that treat them. It's a tool. The dog yeah. is a tool. I take him to work. I bring him home. I kennel him. The dog knows when it's time to go to work. We get in the car and it's. And those are the dogs you can't take to an elementary school, okay, for demonstrations. But And it doesn't mean that the other dogs are bad. The pet dogs that live with the family, they're just as good. But I'm leaning towards the work dog attitude makes it a better dog for police work. But, hey, one of you canine guys need to call in because I don't know for sure. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Maybe you can straighten me out if I'm wrong. 888-511-COPS. Give us a call. You know, the... Um you mentioned the Doberman Pinscher. The Doberman Pinscher, believe it or not, has one of the strongest bites in a domestic breed, I guess, without any additional training. It's about 600 pounds of pressure. So it's, uh, we want to get bit yeah, by any, any one of them. You know, and then, then what happens with these dogs when they can't, when they can't work? You know, a lot of guys adopt them and bring yeah. them home. There are some departments where you can buy the dog for a dollar. Military, uh, um, Military dogs too. Um, they they just don't let them go home because they're governmental property. Sometimes and occasionally they let them go home. And there's a real good movie about that, and I can't remember the name of it, of course. 
that I saw on, I think it was Netflix, okay. about a female handler that wanted to bring her dog home, and he finally got it. But And what they'll do, too, a lot of times, if the officer's no longer able to work, but the dog is, they'll just give it to another handler. Um, that, too. You know, recently they've been... Well, it depends on how, you know, if they're still workable. If they're still young, right. they can transfer them to another handler, but that's even a touchy thing until he gets to know the guy. Absolutely. Um, but when they get older and they can't work anymore, they get... But in war, they get injured a lot, and they want to take them home. You know, re- recently there were um, talks about increasing the penalties for anybody that uh, injured or killed a police canine, um, almost treating it as like a line of duty death as a, as a police officer, increasing the penalties for that, and a- as they should. Well, as they should. And, you know, there was a recent incident in uh, Palm Beach County where um, they were uh, on a surveillance getting two guys that were wanted for murder. I think it was murder. And they went to take him down in the parking lot of a mall, and they sent the dog after this guy, and he took his eyes off the cops because he had to shoot the dog, and he ended up killing him. Right. Um, and, you know, they had a big police funeral just like, and, and you know, that, the dog can't take an oath, but he does his job, and he does it well. He, and he does it without reservation. They go above and beyond. They're fearless. They, they are fearless. You know, I've often said a canine partner is probably the best partner that you could have, and the fact that you know that dog is not going to crap out. That yeah. not, that dog is not going to leave you in the lurch, you know, where, where you're standing, you're in a confrontation with somebody. And there were times that other police officers stood there with their thumbs up their ass. You know, I, I saw, it's true. I saw a I video know. today where, you know, these six police officers were trying to arrest this one guy, and there was one guy standing on the side just doing nothing doing nothing that dog gives you 110 percent that dog is willing to die for you in a heartbeat you know? yeah in a second and, yeah you know in uh s- some of the statistics in uh, 2018 uh there were 28 i believe it was 28 police canines died in the line of duty and uh in 2019 there were 21 to date that were killed in the lines of five were from heat exhaustion five were struck by vehicles four from gunfire two in training accidents, two by toxins, one was a duty-related illness, and one was due to a vehicle pursuit. Uh, during the pursuit, the uh, I believe the police car was broadsided and burst into flames, and they weren't able to get the dog out of the car in time. So, and uh, Well, you know, back when I was training my Doberman, um, my wife got upset because she wouldn't listen to her. And my wife would tell her, go over there and lay down or go over there on the couch or whatever. And she'd, she'd look at her and then she'd look at me and I'd say, go ahead and she'd go do it. But You, um, you, were, the, you were the alpha male. Yeah, and later on when she, got this, when she stopped her training and stuff and got older, she stayed home. It turned out just the opposite. She and just it, did everything my wife. She just adored my wife. The uh, movie that you were trying to come up is Megan Levy. Yep, and Megan, it's a great movie too. Megan Levy. So, the discussion tonight has been about canines, so as we always honor our fallen brothers and sisters, it's only appropriate that tonight we honor Canine Hooch, a seven-year-old male beagle. Canine Hooch was struck and killed by a hit-and-run tractor trailer on I-20 in St. Clair County while tracking an escapee from the St. Clair County Jail. Canine Hooch and his handler responded to the area after the St. Clair's County Sheriff's Office requested assistance from the Alabama Department of Corrections tracking team. 
Hooch tracked the subject to I-20 and his handler requested that deputies stop traffic on the interstate so they can cross and continue the track. A vehicle slowed down, but a tractor trailer behind it could not stop and swerved around it. The semi struck canine Hooch, killing him, and failed to stop. Deputies were not in a position to stop the vehicle. Canine Hooch had served with the Alabama Department of Corrections for seven years. Thanks for tuning in. Next week, we're going to have some special guests, some canine handlers, and we're going to have their four-legged partners with them. So until next week, stay safe and God bless.